0: Is the Tennessee legislature working on legislation for Tennesseans, or are they just agents for federal and foreign bodies working to secure their own power and the loss of your liberty? Join us this week as we welcome an old friend to discuss bank failure, taxpayer bailouts, and a couple of interesting Chinese vulnerabilities to a ground war. My name is Kevin Cookagee and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Well, Gary, we have no music today, but we do have a special guest, and maybe we should have like a, a T.C. Mitz theme yeah. song. Welcome back, <laughs> T.C. Mitts. Hey, it's good to be back. Everybody recognize That's that voice? That's a familiar voice. voice. I kind of
1: feel like uh, uh, like this is, like, I, I'm the kid on vacation. I don't have to be the dad in this time. Like, I'm not driving the ship. I'm just That's along right. for the ride. Yeah. yeah.
0: What's that old uh, game show they used to play? Where the person would sit in a room and you'd hear somebody else in their life talk.
1: I was like the, the, is that the dating game where like they tried to get,
0: well, I think it's, I think it's different than that where you would sit there cause the dating game was, was asking them questions about, or, or, or the spouse questions, you know, what would your spouse do or when they did like the newlyweds game right? to see their knowledge of their spouse's um, interests. But I'm thinking of the one where, uh, was it was, this is your life. Something oh. like that, and um, you You're would sit there. Obviously, before
1: my time. And
0: someone, someone would say something like, "Oh, I'm your, you know, I I helped you build your first wagon." And then the person would say, "Oh, <laughs> do they actually <laughs> sound like Aunt a muppet?" Julie. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> they that's, sound like muppets. Yes, and they did a version of that on the on Sesame yeah. Street. I think oh. I'm I do recall
2: up. that. Is it like the yeah? This is your life, something like that. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes, they do. Muppets. Like
1: <laughs> I missed that one. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, welcome back, John.
1: Thanks! I'm glad to be here. That's fun. Yeah, that's fun. What, uh, I don't know how you guys do things now, but I'm here for the ride.
0: Well, there's a <laughs> lot going on, so... We changed everything, mm. actually. <laughs>
1: I'm sure you did.
0: <laughs> As you know, John, the studio has changed. Thanks, well, it has. Thanks to you.
1: That's, that's true. Lots of things have changed around here.
0: I actually think a great place to start, and I asked Gary about this on Saturday, uh, some of you know, I think we've mentioned it on here, but... So Saturday we had, by the way, Gary, it was a fantastic event. Anybody in, in the audience, and I know we ran into a number of people at the event on Saturday that listened to this podcast, but I still, the I'm referring to the behind the curtain event and the election security, election integrity event we had on Saturday. First of all, Gary, you did a great job. So I want thank to you. honor you and say that was fantastic. It was the, a, it was the
2: M C is not the typical suit I wear. That's
0: um and it's and it's hard when you don't know personally everybody that you're MCing mm-hmm. right and introducing. <clears throat> John, thank you for your help too and the presentation and and uh and being there and, and, and running camera and running that's some that's table all I did. stuff.
1: Like I, well.
0: I know, but there was
1: parts of my team that did. Other, you, other you got too. up early
0: on a Saturday morning to do I, that.
1: I, I did. I do appreciate. I, that. I felt it at four o'clock that <laughs> afternoon too.
0: But for those who didn't attend, Gary gave a. It was in the introduction, and he read to the audience excerpts from a conversation that he that he had with Chat GPT mm. about election integrity, and I thought that just played so well that I said, Gary, would you please do this in the podcast or at least some of it because. It's kind of remarkable what happened when you, when you ask questions to AI and how AI actually responds.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and you sort of, you know, I definitely, through the questioning, led it down a path. Nonetheless, the conclusion that it ended up drawing on its own was quite incredible. And so this was, a, uh, this was on March 6th is when I had this conversation. And I'm sure many uh, that listen have heard of the, the new chat. GPT that's been put out by OpenAI. Of course, you know now that I've used it, yeah, they're they're tracking me, but they're tracking me anyway. I mean, hey. yeah, who, you have a
1: phone; they're tracking I,
2: you. I don't know how you get away from that. But so I had this conversation, and I uh, actually did not intend it to go there, and I just, but I asked it a, a simple question. I said, "Do you think that an AI might ever be allowed to vote?" And uh, of course, it thought perhaps, you know, maybe. <laughs> There, there might be some ethical concerns, clearly, but maybe we could get over those ethical concerns. And-
1: <laughs> if there's one thing I've noticed when talking with Chat GPT, it thinks very highly of itself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so,
2: exactly. Well, in, in this case, it, it thought maybe we may eventually think it's highly of it. It, it does right. itself. All right. <laughs> so um, so we, we talked about that. And then I said, okay, well, I, I understand the ethical concerns. Uh, but what about could AI maybe just be used to enhance... A, a human's ability to to vote and to make good decisions, and it it seemed to be pretty open to that. Po- oh, absolutely! But it it began to acknowledge uh, some challenges. In fact, it says AI systems are only as unbiased as the data they are trained on, <laughs> and and there's always a risk that an AI could perpetuate or amplify its existing biases and inequalities. In the political process.
0: I have a, I have a question about that, a, a, a procedural question. <clears throat> so we know that AI gathers not only the data that's input in the creation of AI, which AI is admitted right there, mm-hmm. but they're gathering from all sources, right? Correct. It, it, it just like sucks in everything that's been written in common source and social media, media and otherwise. So my question is, in the future, we'll... Or so f- we think. Okay, yes, we're so so we're told, and it could be sucking in
1: sources that the programmer who built the AI wants it to suck in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we well, don't we we don't doubt that, do we? No, but I'm just saying, like it's not all sources necessary. Exactly.
0: No, I agree with that part. But it's it's sources based on a filter.
1: Correct. Exactly. Yeah. And built the, by a human there who yeah. obviously has biases. A,
0: everybody has biases. Yes. So my question is. Will the AI of the future, let's say we Gary asks these same questions in a year from now. Will the AI of the future take into account the answers that AI has given to Gary today? In other words, will they admit in a year, A, that there's ethical considerations, and B, now, now I've already forgotten what that second point was because it was important in my analysis
2: well well, that it was it it could possibly help humans make better decisions, but it's but it's acknowledging that perhaps it could it could have some biases that would affect its right. ability to do so
0: so will AI in the future eliminate that part and say no, 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 we don't have biases mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. or yeah, or will it or will it, if it is gathering a broad swath of information? is that going to allow the AI to evolve on issues like we do? You know? As <laughs> well, it's as it's fed more yeah. information, you know? Like it, we do. Does, you mean as far as... Does it get convinced? Yeah. Does it change its mind? Yeah.
0: Yeah, You because when you mean evolution of, of ideas, right? You mean right. when yeah. we discover we're wrong about exactly. something that the Earth isn't flat, it's actually round, we change yeah. our ideas. Yeah.
1: Well, it, in the natural process of AI, it should do that. But the wrong hands get a hold of yeah. ai then it won't do that
2: well, yeah how would you ever trust that it's actually making its own deductions correct
0: yeah. yeah it's not yeah and it's already in the wrong
2: hands it started in the wrong hands
0: well true true sorry, so so, sorry,
2: so well so it acknowledges these biases so then i say okay well there are many concerned about cheating possibly could ai be used to reduce to reduce voter fraud and uh, again, uh, yeah, that's that's reasonable. You know, it, it thinks uh, definitely can see how that could work. And it and it even says, though, it's important to note that there are potential risks with using A.I. Uh, it's, it acknowledges this is where it gets fun. It says, for example, there is a risk that A.I. systems could be vulnerable to hacking, manipulation. <laughs> are other forms of cyber attacks which could undermine the integrity of the election. And here's, you know, I think it's interesting to me because here the machine itself is acknowledging that the use of the, the machine, machine. <laughs> uh says, you know, I I could I could be hacked. <laughs> so this could present a problem.
0: So this is why I think that in the future, a future generation or next year AI will have scrubbed that element because the the people who are who are um Directing the information and and um, filtering that information won't want those admissions to be as readily yeah, you, available. You, you
1: may have just like triggered something, and it, like there's alarm bells going off somewhere, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and like AI. Coding. They know they need
2: to fix this. Yeah yeah, 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 We cannot keep spitting out this answer. <laughs> uh, so I continue. It gets a little bit more fun. So bear with this because so now I'm 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 saying okay, it's it's doubting itself. So let's see how far to go. So I, the next question I ask. Well, is it possible that the risks inherent with the use of AI for elections are the same risks inherent in using electronic voting machines instead of hand marked paper ballots? And so it it acknowledges, yeah, there is similar risks associated. In the third paragraph of that of that answer, it says both electronic voting machines. And AI systems can be vulnerable to manipulation or bias, particularly if the underlying data or algorithms are not properly vetted or audited. It says, for example, electronic voting machines may be vulnerable to software or hardware manipulation that could alter or miscount votes. (laughs) No kidding! Yeah, that's definitely going to be
0: scrubbed in the next version of AI. (laughs) Is
2: it possible? All right. So, uh, okay. So here's the final thing. So this this is the... The culminating moment, I say, all the right.
0: creme de la creme. Yeah, I
2: say, okay, here we go. Considering that human oversight might reduce the risk of vote manipulation, because it it mentioned several times that the way to mitigate the vulnerability um, and the manipulation of the machines is to involve human oversight. Mm-hmm. It, it kept deducing that over and over again. Well, if you, if you inject a level of human oversight, you might be able to mitigate some of the vulnerabilities in the machines, right? Um, so I say, you know, considering human oversight might reduce that risk when using electronic voting machines or AI, would eliminating the use of electronic voting machines perhaps increase transparency and accountability? And the shocking answer, eliminating the use of electronic voting machines could potentially increase transparency and accountability in elections, especially if the machines are replaced by, with handmarked paper ballots. Mm. Then it says handmarked paper ballots are often considered the gold standard for secure and transparent voting. Says I, the machine.
1: I, I would I would uh <laughs> I would challenge you to go have that conversation again and see what happens to see if you get I, the same
0: answers. I was thinking that same thing. <clears> like <throat> like today. Like when we're done here today.
1: Yeah, because I, I think you like you've started a few fires. I, I think some coders, like, <laughs> lost their jobs. Um, some new coders are in there, and I think they're already starting to fix this.
0: Are you able to timestamp, save that, so we have at least a picture and history of when you ask those questions? Yeah, and...
2: I have that on here. It's, it's March 6th. So this these, this conversation was had on March 6th, 2023.
1: Mm. I think Tennessee now has a new uh, initiative. It's like, take on ChatGPT. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is it going to be like Wikipedia, where people, like... Get on there, and you know they have their their hirelings working on yeah. what Wikipedia says. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. we can
2: we change its mind? You, you if can you try, yeah. It's fun. Oh wow! All
0: right, thanks for that, Gary. I I I think um something else we probably should talk about since it's current are uh, the closure of a few banks. Mm. No kidding. Financial collapse on the on the verge of financial collapse. Um, Let me open it by saying this. Do you guys remember back in 2008 when we had the first big bank bailouts? I do, because I lost a bunch of money on a house. Yeah, I lost money not on a house, but I lost a ton of money in the stock market. I Um, had to short sell a house in 2008. I almost had to do that. Well, do you remember what all the politicians told us, aside from the, you know, too big to fail— Following the Too Big to Fail, they established the Troubled Asset Relief Program called TARP. Mm, Yep. And then that was followed by Dodd-Frank, which its connection to Tennessee, if you don't recall, was Dodd-Frank would not have been possible without Senator Bob Corker. That bill should have died, would have died, but Bob Corker made sure that Dodd-Frank passed. He resurrected... That bill in, and uh, worked with the Obama administration to pass it. And that bill was supposed to stop these things from happening, right? Establish regulations so we never again have bank failures and banks putting their money into the wrong things. And I want to read to you just a two paragraph analysis. This comes from George Rassley, uh, he's from conservative headquarters. This was from today. Uh, what is today's date? March thirteenth, he says, um, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But it is clear that almost none of the purported benefits of TARP and the subsequent Dodd Frank banking quote reform bill materialized. Millions of jobs were lost in the financial services, real estate, home building, and construction, and automotive sectors of the economy. Regulatory costs went up dramatically causing a consolidation in the banking and financial services industry, that is, the big got bigger and the small got eaten up. And here we are today with another major bank failure and another demand for a bailout and nothing but trillions more in debt to show for it. And the Democrats used the vast sums made available through TARP and other bailout programs to reward their friends and consolidate their position as the party of Wall Street and the economic elite. So over the weekend, we were told at the beginning of the weekend that the feds were going to shut down the bank, take over it, right? And only the people who had um, money that was in within FDIC limits were going to be protected. Well, over the weekend, there must have been some arm twisting because the feds came out today and said, essentially, they're going to bail out this bank and bail out the bank in New York that also failed uh, failed this morning, um, all of which are uh, banks that were investing in well, the one in California was investing in new properties in, um, you know, high tech things, and the one in New York was particularly invested in cryptocurrency.
2: Well, actually, the one in in uh, in Silicon Valley was was doing some of the same things they were doing in two thousand eight. They they were buying up these these bulks of uh, batches of mortgages and things like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's how it actually, actually proving the point. Yeah. I, I just meant um, the type of people that were. A lot of that money was in uh, oh, from the, the customer base uh, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. with Silicon Valley.
2: Yeah. Um, new but, ideas. but the investment strategy though that failed yes. the bank was the, the same, same thing. thing they did in 08.
0: Yeah, and then you have banks giving. So the people who are running that bank were getting huge bonuses, right, before it closed down. Bonuses as, as which, recently which, as last Friday.
2: When the, when the Fed raised interest rates, yep. that's when it took them down.
0: Yep. And you had the CEO of that bank. I forget his name, selling like millions of dollars of stock a week or two before all this happened. And yet over the weekend, you have all of the people involved or most of the people involved essentially um, offered protection by the government. And this is what's this is what's amazing, because you have Janet Yellen coming out today and saying the reason that they're bailing this out is to protect the taxpayers, which makes no sense, because where is Janet Yellen getting the money to bail out these banks?
2: Uh, from That's the, the taxpayers. <laughs> from the taxpayers.
0: <laughs> they, they must think that we're really stupid and I, I suppose there are some people who are voting for them that are
2: stupid. No, it's but... Ukraine. Did you hear that? Ukraine's sending all of our money <laughs> They're back. They're giving <laughs> it back. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh. oh. That would have been a great, that would have been a great proposal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. We'll bail out
2: the banks provided it comes oh, wait, from what we sent to Oh, wait, they already gave it back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, I mean, it's stunning to me. She says, Yellen says, these actions will reduce stress across the financial system, support financial stability, and minimize impact on business, household, taxpayers, and the broader economy. Blaming it on, by the way, she said, well, interest rates rising— are what caused the pressure on these banks. And she says interest rate rising, of course, resulted from inflation. Well, why do we have inflation? Because the government's spending more money than they have. They're printing They're money. printing it. Fewer dollars, chasing fewer goods, creating inflation, which raises interest rates to stop that inflation, which causes bank failures. And what does the
2: government do? Oh, we'll fix it. So who caused inflation? Who? The government. <laughs> who raised the rates? The government. The government. Oh, Okay, so how did the bank fail? Ooh. It's the same oh it just keeps going around and around and around. It's a good
0: thing Bob Corker is not in office or he'd probably have another Dodd Frank round two to fix all this. For real this time, you know. So the so those banks aren't going anywhere. They're being bailed out and they're, they're being bailed out. continue to the, exist? Yeah, under different management, they said of course they said the management's being restructured. restructure, blah yeah. blah blah. But billions of dollars are being infused into those banks, misuse of funds, misinvestment of funds, and the same old thing. It's, it's as if t- all the work we went through in 2008, work, I'm saying air quotes, to fix the problem has not fixed the problem at all. Because in the end of the day, power is power. And those in power decided, well... It's my friends over here who are being hurt, so I want to fix their problem with taxpayer dollars.
1: So what you're telling me is I should start a bank, because then I can do whatever the hell I want to do.
0: Or a, or a company that carries on any kind of priority of the federal government. If you got into, um, if you make cars, solar, yeah, yeah, electric cars, <laughs> solar, any of those things, you can get a bailout. Yeah. Okay. All right. Those are all cheap things to get into. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll fire one up. You're tomorrow. in the wrong business, I know, John. I know. But you, but if you you can get federal government money to start it too. Oh, that's true. I should I should check that out. All right.
2: Okay. So just if we can stay on this topic for a little bit, because to make this even more interesting, we haven't discussed this. I found this out in the last few hours as I've been researching. In the midst of these bank crashes and all that's happening, did you hear? Was it? Uh, it was the eighth. So it was last week. Did you hear about the bill that Christy Nome vetoed in South Dakota? Did about this? Nope. And this ended up. Um, I, so I'm, I'm put. I did a video. This will go out today. So I'm, I'm not going to go in depth. But there was a bill that passed the South Dakota legislature. It's being pushed by the national legal associations that that run the uh, UCC, the Uniform What Commercial Commercial codes. Code. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a a national push to amend all of the UCC language in the states, um, of course, to make, you know, to remove regulatory burdens and all the, you know, to make everything more efficient, you know. <laughs> but But what it's doing is it's changing all of the language around money, okay? It's redefining what money is. It's redefining electric money. Electronic money is what it calls it. Mm-hmm. And literally, one of the definitions, bear with me here, let me pull this up because it's in Tennessee as well. I'm looking up the bill. So, in the bill, it redefines, it brings in an additional definition of money that says, you know, money has the meaning of, you know, what currently is, exists in law. Then it says, or, in an electronic form that cannot be subjected to control under a certain section of this act mm-hmm. and and what it translates to is it it removes cryptocurrency or bitcoin or any kind of unregulated digital money as not money mm-hmm. right and the only digital money that can exist right. in the UCC code is official right federal <clears throat> government Insured or our yep. central bank digital currency,
0: which is ball game, right? It's what the federal government has. It's it's the one area of for whatever bad people want to say about cryptocurrency because there are obviously risks, and there are people who have manipulated it for um, nefarious purposes. The one benefit of current cryptocurrency is it doesn't fall under federal regulation, and nope. so there is true freedom of transaction. There's right. still privacy, and the federal government has been trying so hard in so many different ways to get control of electronic funds.
2: And so, so that bill passed the South Dakota legislature. Christie Governor Christy Nome vetoed it last week she went on Tucker Carlson and and talked about that as she as the bill hit her desk she feared that this was literally for her state setting the table mm-hmm. for the central bank and now wouldn't you know and I look I'm telling you I've done the research I I'm, I've got the two bills in front of me they are absolutely emphatically identical that bill is going into committee in Tennessee this week oh my gosh <clears throat> it it is it obviously as, not written by anybody in so, Tennessee
1: so hang on what, what let's just assume it gets enacted in Tennessee mm-hmm. what does that tell for the TC mitts in the room yeah what does that do well what will that do in the state of Tennessee
2: well and here's the thing I I don't exactly <laughs> know except that It sets the regulatory foundation for the state of Tennessee to very quickly or instantaneously adopt whatever is needed to begin transacting with the central bank digital currency. But does it
1: eliminate the use of, like, Bitcoin or any other digital coin?
0: Well, it means it's now subject to federal regulation in a way that it's not currently, and it's also a – it's kind of a backdoor. How in the
1: world are they going to do that? How is the federal – the federal government can't even get the DMV right. How are they going to regulate Bitcoin?
0: Well, it doesn't mean that they – just because they can't do it well doesn't mean they don't have the ability to sanction you to be able to take your – See, right now, Bitcoin and and all digital currency – and I'm talking about the true ownership of it, not investing in a fund that invests in Bitcoin. Yeah,
1: they, they just they, – they'll never be able to do it. They don't <clears> – <throat> the problem is the federal government does not understand – Blockchain and Bitcoin. They don't get it. But... They're never going to be able but to chase that's, it down. But,
0: but the key is, if they can go into a court and say, they don't have to control your Bitcoin, but if they can sanction, your, if they can put a, a lien on your property, on your house, because you have not reported to them every bit of Bitcoin that you have and you have not operated that Bitcoin in terms of which they can either understand or control then they will attach the things that they can control they
2: can shut everything else yeah, off they'll,
1: for they'll... for the everyday american like myself mm-hmm. that that would be a huge deterrent and would obviously shut me down quickly but you've got guys out here that just don't care about that guys are living completely off the grid and are they're harvesting this this bitcoin and it's they're never they're not going to stop them so, they're just going to figure out different ways to get around the government well they Tec- already had they're already like 10 steps ahead of
0: technology them. is always ahead but it won't be cryptocurrency it'll have to be something else yeah they'll
1: come up with something else
0: um but in the interim once the feds get control of the cryptocurrency and are able to regulate it whether they understand it or not in in the manner which i said then that's part of the the entire plan because it, john it gets to the point of also eliminating paper currency eliminating Any other form of currency so that then the government, it's just numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't like the things that the current administration likes, if they see you at a Tennessee Stands event, even if you're just helping with camera and things like that, they give you your social score, right? And if you don't comply, they take those numbers down out of your bank account or those numbers just disappear from your bank account. So it's part of, it is the first step and that's why it's so nefarious. That's why it's so evil because they'll pass it under an innocuous statute, right? Oh, just a a change in the UCC code to make it all equal and more efficient when when their real motive is we're going to control, get control of this digital currency because they know that that provides a lot of freedom for people from that regulation. Mm.
2: And and check this out. So it leads me to the last bill. There's another organization called the Conference of State... Gosh, CSBS. What is that? Uh, Conference of State Bank. <laughs> I can yes, think. I can, can go, think I can of something. Yeah. Yeah. Conference <laughs> of State Bank. <Come>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let me let me pull this up. All right, Conference of State State Bank Supervisors, and the CSBS has been around since early nineteen hundreds. I think nineteen oh two, I believe. And basically, what they do, is, you ever you know how you have a mortgage broker and they have that that in. MLS license yep. number. Yep. And so that that's sort of what they do and they they handle, you know, regulations across the states uh for mortgage brokers and all this sort of stuff. But they're so in 2021, they drafted a piece of model legislation called the Money Transmission Modernization Act. Arizona was the first state to pass it. Not many have passed it yet. But guess where it is now? Oh. It's in Tennessee, being carried by Jack Johnson, and who's a banker. And wouldn't you know, I found this thing in there today. It's already passed the Senate. Hmm. And it's already passed three committees in the House. It's headed to Finance Ways and Means this week, which means it will be on the House floor next week. And if it passes the House floor next week, it's headed to the governor's desk. <clears throat> this Money Transmission Modernization Act is a 60-page bill here in Tennessee again. I Was it I, was this
0: started under a caption bill that nobody knew about? No,
2: no, it was it was filed in full and I but I went up I pulled the CSBS model legislation. I mean it's almost page for page verbatim, all right? So this is a national move. Listen to this additional definition of money. All right?
1: This is on the Tennessee bill.
2: This is on the Tennessee bill that's okay. already passed the Senate. Okay. Okay. Money, so A means a medium of exchange that is authorized or adopted by the United States or issued by a foreign government. Okay. No problem there, right? Money is something we issue. And then if a foreign, if we're going to accept foreign currency, we have an exchange process. So that's all fine. But here's letter B. And Includes a monetary unit of account established by an intergovernmental organization or by agreement between two or more governments. That is oh. the new definition of money. That is a new currency. World currency. Create Yes. Created by now a collaboration, an intergovernmental organization. Mm-hmm.
0: Without representation by some faraway king in Belgium,
2: right? It's, it's really... It's incredible that I'm – all this happened this morning. I'm finding all of this legislation going through the state of Tennessee, including one that was vetoed last week, all the while these banks are failing.
0: And, again, the the thing that is also as important for people to understand is this is no longer – this is what's changing at the state level. States are no longer passing legislation that comes up through or at the behest of – the people. The people of that state. Yes. Right? They're taking boilerplate legislation that's been created in Washington, D.C., and some think tank, some leftist progressive think yes. tank, and they're all looking at the same thing. This is more of the chipping away of state sovereignty and reducing us all to mere provinces, yes. just geographical locations.
2: That mm. That is a great point. I mean, in in both of these cases, yes, these are all— pieces of model legislation with with national backing and the, the whole idea is about uniformity in state legislation. But that that is actually the like your state <laughs> the antithesis <laughs> yes. of of what it's supposed to be.
0: Yep. States are supposed to be different. Oh my gosh.
2: Hmm. And 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 you know which is look, it is the underhanded move towards centralization mm-hmm. and 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 they're just they're doing it right under our noses with with quote unquote uniform legislation that's centralized government mm-hmm. yeah cent-
0: centralized <laughs> world government yeah. nonetheless and it makes you i my brother always asked me this question he's like why so you take someone like a Barack Obama and then at a state level someone like a state senator or a governor whenever they enter into an agreement that yields authority and surrenders sovereignty, either from the state to the federal government or to a world order, at what point do they wake up and say, well, I'm not going to be the guy in charge? I mean, they've surrendered their own power, too, unless they're so arrogant to think that they're getting a seat at the table and they're yeah. going to be able to Well, they probably are control the levers of power. Well, until, until the tables are set. Then there's still going to be a fight among the quote-unquote people at the table because somebody's got to be the boss, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, I think they've been they've been promised something that they that will never be delivered on in order to surrender your sovereignty and Gary's sovereignty and my sovereignty and our families. Um, Can I what makes a guy like, uh, like Jack Johnson read that and think it's cool?
2: I don't know. I like mean, what? Like because <laughs> somebody let's put aside because the Chamber of Commerce told him to.
1: Well but why would well okay. I won't go that that question answers itself why they would think that's okay. But what can the Chamber of Commerce promise Jack that would make it okay for him?
2: Power. Mm hmm. Constant support and power. Votes. Yeah. Special interest money. But the future.
0: But I think you're you're getting to the point at what is your power if you are nothing but a puppet of the people who have paid for you to be in that position?
1: But I don't know how you read that as a "quote unquote self-proclaimed conservative." Well, it's not. <laughs> and think that's okay. Like centralized go. That's what it spells out, centralized government. So how do you read that and think it's, yeah, I'm cool with this.
2: I don't know, but it's all good. He 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 saved the children this year. So
0: <laughs> Did he? I missed that one.
2: Yeah. So he says Wow. We, he, we, he
0: saved the children? Did he make the children?
2: Yeah, no, he saved them from mutilation, and he saved them from <laughs> oh, the drag right, queens. right, 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 right. So um, he's good. He's good for this year.
0: So let me do a Mike Boozer's... Mike Boozer wears glasses. Well, I did, did I miss this? Is this a new segment? Wait. Were, was that after you had I guess so, because I don't know what you're talking about. So Mike <laughs> Boozer wears glasses. I'm kind of hurt, because that means John hasn't listened to some of the episodes. No, sorry. <laughs> I no. thought
2: I thought that was during
0: John's. I reign. thought so
1: too. I don't remember. Maybe this one. John
0: has the memory of a goldfish.
1: That's possible.
0: It's <laughs> oh, possible. So, as a refresh, Mike Boozer wears glasses is something that started in my family when I was a child, and it it's a non sequitur. It's if you're going to say something that's completely unrelated to what we were just talking about, say Mike Boozer wears glasses. Oh, this switch, sounds
1: familiar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, okay. it, and it derived right.
0: from when I was a child and I came home from third grade and found out that my friend Mike Boozer, who previously was not bespeckled, all of a sudden had new glasses. And we're sitting at the dinner table and somebody said something talking about, you know, the business of the day. And all of a sudden I just blurted out,
1: Mike Boozer wears glasses.
0: (laughs) And everybody in my family thought that was funny because it it just didn't relate to anything. So Mike Boozer wears glasses. I want to read an article to both of you and, and we'll comment along the way. But this, this goes in the China closet, and it's a point that it's never, I've never seen this written about, and it's a point that I think warrants reading this article from, from stem to stern, from top to bottom. I find it fascinating, and it's pretty believable. I don't know. I, I'll just get into it. The name of this article, it's from the Epoch Times. Um, it's called Food and Soldiers, China's Strategic Weaknesses. And this came out uh, last week, March 3rd. So on December 7th, 2022, a gentleman by the name of Edward Lutwak, a strategy consultant to the U.S. government, gave the keynote speech at Japan's National Institute of Defense Studies, NIDS, on security affairs. The speech was entitled, Can China Fight a War? Now, most media outlets didn't cover the NIDS conference, And almost none of them mentioned his speech, Lutwock's speech. News sources missed an opportunity to highlight some of China's most important strategic weaknesses. These should be ferociously pursued. This is according to the author, by the way, this article. I can't pronounce his name. Guermantes Lilari. Forgive me if I get that mangled. Uh, He says these should be ferociously pursued if the Chinese Communist Party orders the PLA, People's Liberation Army, to conduct a military operation against Taiwan. Okay, let me stop for a second. We have to think about this critically for a second, because if, if this gentleman is giving, he's a consultant to the U.S. government. So if they if the U.S. government has hired him, they must believe that he thinks like them, right? The U.S. government is not going to hire someone that challenges their worldview. And the foreign policy belief of the U.S. government and the entire Washington uh apparatus still to this day is that china is not an enemy but merely a competitor right and you can't get that out of their heads yet it's starting to to crack on the edges so to be critical we would say well anything this guy says you take with a grain of salt because he's a u.s government consultant but the fact that the media did not cover this and refuse to talk about it shows that maybe he did present a challenge that they didn't address all right so number one He asks the question, can China wage a war? He says, would the Chinese government actually initiate war operations, implying specifically to go to war against Taiwan? And he noted that leaders of countries such as Putin in Russia, um, whether in Ukraine in the last year or George W. Bush in 2003, he said both of those men were are quite capable of starting wars that they cannot possibly win. He says, it's true of Russians and Americans, and it's even more true of China. So he asked a simple question. Can the People's Republic of China, as it now exists, actually wage a war, a small war, such as, for example, a war to take Taiwan? Using the metaphor of sustainability, he argued that the CCP would be in trouble if it fought a war against Taiwan today, especially if the war continued for more than several months. And his analysis wasn't based on standard military comparisons, which we've been talking about for months, right? China has long surpassed us in military strength and superiority. Armaments and, yeah. Yeah, and and much, of course, from stealing our technology or technology that we've given them. What he focused on was two key Chinese strategic weaknesses, food supplies and dead soldiers. All right? So think about this. He said, look at Russia. He said, does Russia have a sustainable war? He said, Russia does not import food. Russia may import some, you know, pate or something from Paris. He said, but the food the Russians make today is the food they eat. Second, Russia does not import energy. It exports energy. And third, Russia has the most valuable commodity in wartime. Listen to this. It's cold, but it's true. Some families have extra sons.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In contrast, Luke Walk noted that China annually imports several million tons of food. In 2022 alone, China imported more than 85 percent of its soybeans, which is 95 million tons, mainly from the United States, Brazil, and Argentina. China imports human food and animal feed, including 95 million tons of soybeans, 20 to 30 thousand tons of corn, wheat, sorghum, millet, and other things to feed the animals. Um, and then, of course, there are dairy products. It it imports a lot of dairy products. Consequently, according to Lutvok, China is a protein-eating country, and the protein is important. So whatever else may happen—now, this is interesting. I, I, I may disagree with him, but listen to his statement. He said, whatever else may happen the moment a fight of any kind starts, even a small war, G7-type sanctions start, meaning that China will be cut off from imports— such as soybeans from the United States and Canada. Now that, do you think that is necessarily true, that statement? Why would you think it's not true? Because our foreign policy apparatus believes that China is a competitor, not an enemy. So if China invaded Taiwan, would we necessarily deem that something to fight against, or would we continue to supply them food and say, well, you know, issue them a letter instead to say, bad China, you shouldn't do that, but yeah, we'll keep selling you food.
1: My hope would be that he doesn't see them as a, as a competitor... Well, no. What did you just say? He sees them as a...
0: Competitor instead of an enemy.
1: Yeah. My hope is that he doesn't see them as an enemy now, but if they make a move like mm-hmm. that, he would see them as an right. enemy.
0: And that's what Lutfock is saying, the author of this, or, or the guy who gave this speech. And I don't know if that's true. You would hope that's true as Americans that, okay, physical war, confrontation, even then, would we continue to supply China with tech... I know, we know that current... House of Representatives would not, but would the Senate, would the President, would they still be in favor of, well, we can still let things go through to China? I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's a fair question. We could
2: always just send it to Ukraine and then have FTX get the food to <laughs> China. There's <laughs> good, other ways. Good,
0: good way to tie in both Ukraine and the bank. Are you, and, like, are you laundering food now? Is that what you're doing?
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm just, do all sorts of things.
0: So let's assume, though, okay, so I do have that question. I'm not sure, but let's assume that we would put sanctions on China and and stall their food supply. He argues that once a war starts, he says within three months, they'll have to kill most of the pigs and chicken, the mutton and the beef that they have. He claimed that during Mao's rule over China, people survived because they ate more simply. They didn't have much meat and certainly no yogurt. China used to be self-sufficient. In other words, it used to be the way that Russia is now for food, but now it's completely different today in 2023. Lutvok noted that Chinese leadership failed to ensure that China would continue expanding local sources of food. Despite recent laws preventing the conversion of agricultural land to housing or industry, China has continued to lose its agricultural land, primarily due to land erosion, industrialization, and urbanization. Which ties into China buying up all this farmland in America, right? Mm -hmm. And part of the underlying theme to that has been that China has a need to feed its own people, especially if it's considering going to war. If they know sanctions are going to be imposed, one way to try to get around those sanctions is to say, well, we own that land. You don't. So you can't sanction us from growing food on what is, quote unquote, our own land.
2: And there'll be more meat available for the Chinese if Bill Gates can convince all the <laughs> Americans to three D print that's their meat. That's right.
0: That's right.
2: It's all connected. Three <laughs> D printed meat. Uh. It's all connected.
0: <laughs> Wait,
1: isn't that just plastic? What? what are you, <coughs> we're just going to eat plastic?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we eat now, right? It's, vi- it's vitamin enriched plastic. <laughs> oh, well, that's better. Uh, you know, interestingly, since we're on in the the China closet now, I mentioned a few weeks ago. We had a bill HB40 that would have uh, if passed would have prohibited sanctioned nations, whether it be foreign nationals or business entities from sanctioned nations from buying property in the state of Tennessee right Well that bill made it all the way to finance ways that means one step from the floor. It didn't technically die, but it did because they placed it behind the budget. So listen to this. This is how screwed up things are in Tennessee. When something has a fiscal note, if it's not in the governor's budget, they place it behind Mm -hmm. the budget, which means it's dead, right? This fiscal note – so to track these properties, right, it would have required the secretary of state to create a database, which they speculate would have cost $80,000 one-time fee – and $2,000 a year to maintain it. That's it. <laughs> and for that, for eighty dollars and $2,000 a year, we canned the bill and put it behind the budget. But we have no problem... Selling property to China. And we have no
0: problem having a... <laughs> A toll road system in Tennessee. No, no problem. And not using our how many billion dollar surplus now? Five. Yeah, We're,
2: running on f- almost five. Five oh.
0: billion surplus, but there's not eighty thousand dollars and two thousand dollars with a, a two year.
2: billion dollar rainy day fund.
0: That's a heck of a lot cheaper than a Titan Stadium.
2: That's true. <laughs> wow, Just throwing so, that out there. So we got
0: a Titan Stadium. We've got toll roads. We got a five billion dollar surplus. So but 80,
2: 80 grand, a one time fee of eighty grand, and two thousand dollars a year. Too expensive for the Tennessee government. To make sure that, that we are not selling our Tennessee land, our real property, to our enemies. It's outrageous. Hmm. No words. Welcome to Tennessee.
0: So let me, let me shift to the, the energy portion. By the way, in Russia, people eat the same food that they ate six months ago and a year ago, right? And they're a year into re- Ukraine. So Russia doesn't have the same problem. He's pointing out the contrast. Dead soldiers. Lutwak noted that the very low estimate of this, this is fascinating. Just listen to this. The very low estimate of Russians killed in Ukraine as of December 2022 is 25,000. Many estimates put that number well above 100,000, but he said the Russians can lose 25,000 soldiers in several months and it makes no difference, right? Nobody's blocking the streets in Moscow in protest saying we're losing our children. Now you would think that with all the population of China, right? bill how many billions one point is,
2: yeah it's up there it's
0: huge right you would think that people wouldn't be a problem but listen to what he says for two reasons first he compared uh russia's invasion of czechoslovakia uh ussr at that time in 1968 and 2022 of, of ukraine to give a an analogy of what might happen in taiwan according to lupvok The Soviet Union invaded Czechoslovakia in 1968 because in 48 hours it was able to put 800,000 troops on the ground. When Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022, it made the big mistake of using only 135,000 troops to invade a country that's four and a half times larger than Czechoslovakia and four times more populous. So using those numbers, he says that Russia should have planned to deploy 3.2 million people into Ukraine if they were to have the same success I'm not, again, not a special pleader for what's going on, Russia and Ukraine. Just to get to the numbers, he says, so using a similar analysis, it it would take 1.6 million soldiers within 48 hours of an invasion of Taiwan that China should have on the ground if they are to have an adequate number of ground forces. But he says, the problem is, if you want to fight a war, you need to have a supply of expendable soldiers, sailors, and airmen. You cannot start the war if you're not willing to tolerate casualties. This man published an article in 1995 called Post Heroic Warfare, and his argument was terribly simple. He said, The wars of history were fought by spare male children. He said, According to this theory, the acceptance of casualty has gone down everywhere. June 6, 1944, Omaha Beach, 2,200 Americans died in one morning, but the war continued. In Vietnam, the u s. loses fifty thousand over ten years, and that was considered traumatic. And then since that time, it's gone down even more. He said now it he doesn't mean that you know if you go to if you die in Iraq or Afghanistan that it's not important and it's not significant. He says, but what you can't do today is lose ten thousand before breakfast and continue normally, as mm-hmm. we would have done in World War II or even Vietnam. He said in Afghanistan, we lost twenty five hundred soldiers during the 20 years, 4,400 soldiers in Iraq during seven years, and 3,800 U.S. contractors killed in Afghanistan, 3,600 in Iraq. And yet, that's about the the level of angst. You know, people are like, it's it's too much at this point. And then he goes to d- discuss how the one-child policy in China, which started in 1980 and went to 2016, the fact that it ended in 2016 is not going to help them now, because mm-hmm. it's going to take a long time mm-hmm. um, to replenish. So he said... If you look at the Galwan River Valley of Ladka, which is in India in 2020, he said it's very informative because there were approximately 20 Indian soldiers that were killed in that clash and only four Chinese were killed, one officer and three soldiers. And he says what's interesting is the difference in how India and China handle this. India had a, a big a big funeral and they had uh, a big public discussion of this and kind of went through their mourning and and all of that at that time. China didn't talk about it for seven months. They they lost four soldiers and couldn't talk about it for seven months. And this is what happened in those seven months. The officer's wife, the PLA officer's wife, was a local music teacher. She was promoted to a position as a music professor at a major conservatory. And the three enlisted soldiers were also each given special propaganda value— One soldier, who looked very young, was made into a local hero. Another soldier was made into the good guy, who was reported to have said, I will give my life to defend the motherland, every inch of the motherland. I'm here to defend every inch. And of course, Lodka was never part of China. And then the third one, the CCC presented him as a very traditional soldier, who supposedly wrote a letter to his mom and dad before he died, saying... Dear mom and dad, I'm very sorry that I will not be there for you when you need me. But if there is an afterlife, then I hope to be there with you. Which is also funny because communists don't believe in an afterlife. Mm. But you have a seven-month period where the Chinese government, communist government, was so concerned about the impact of losing four soldiers that they took seven months to even tell them about it and used it all for highest propaganda value to how they can make it look like this was a good thing in short the author's point is the tolerance for casualties of the chinese communist party isn't anywhere near what it would need to very be low. now he, he ends the the whole speech by saying he's not confident that the fact that china can't fight this war means that they won't try to fight it but i found that fascinating it's, it's just a different perspective we all of us tend to mirror. Well, right?
2: the the fear the fear there for me is I, as I am processing everything you just said. They have a very low tolerance for ground warfare, which which means that the existential threat is nuclear warfare, are or, are or, or something that they do have a tolerance for because mm-hmm. they they won't be able to beat us on the ground. So they're gonna they're gonna quickly and immediately divert to. a a more catastrophic type of warfare
0: or something that prevents us from being able to do absolutely anything to stop them. So they won't have something like that. Yeah. Yeah. EMP to shut off all of our electricity and to completely blind us by taking out all of our satellites. Right. And that's what they've always been working on. So I just found that
2: fascinating. I, it is. I I hope that wasn't too long of a read.
0: No, that was good.
2: It's interesting. Yeah. I've always thought of China as having, you know, all these people and
1: sorry, 1.4 billion i just looked it up
0: oh thank you yeah yeah i didn't think it was 2 billion but if i had to guess i would have been over i I thought it was 1.9 but 1.4 is a heck of a lot tc Mitz, john you're welcome back anytime thank you make sure you listen to a few episodes here and there so you know what (laughs) mike boozer wears glasses means okay i got my homework (laughs) done
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right take care everybody
0: If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.